courage is preparation. And courage is knowing what you're on this planet, you know? And, and so you don't have to be courageous. It's not overcoming fear. It's being prepared for what's next and realizing that, you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen, you know? Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everyone, to the Generous Business Owners Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today, Wade McGuinn. Say hello, Wade. Good morning or good afternoon. Good to have you here, Wade. Wade McGuinn is the owner of McGuinn Homes, has served the Midland, South Carolina area for 37 years, building thousands of homes in countless communities. Wade is a certified master builder in South Carolina and is the past president of the HBA Central South Carolina, author of Building Your Dream Home, and owner of one of the most awarded home building companies in South Carolina. In 2003, Wade embarked on a missions trip to Haiti, which led to a lot of other trips, including Cuba, Honduras, Vietnam, and Mexico. Really struck by his experience in Haiti, and he ended up starting an organization called To Take Care of the Least of These, which continues as Next Generation Ministries in the U.S. and abroad. Really excited to hear more from you here uh, today, Wade. Again, uh, welcome to the podcast. Oh, good to be here. Thanks. Wade, uh, just wanted to get started by just hearing a little bit about the early years of uh, what was it like for, for Wade growing up in, uh, in the McGuinn home and uh, yeah, your spiritual journey? Any else, else, anything else you want to share about the early years? Oh, my gosh. Well, it was so much time now. So my mom and dad were born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina, which is where my business is. But after the war, my dad and his brothers moved to Phoenix, Arizona in 1948. And my dad and his brothers were raised in the Catholic orphanage. And so always, they always asked me who my grandparents were. And I said, my grandfather and grandmother were nuns, apparently. And so they were good Irish Catholic boys. And uh, they moved out to Arizona. And uh, between, the, uh, uh, between the three of them, had 22 children. So... There was six. Wow. There's in my family, and so I uh, grew up with a lot of cousins out of the desert, and uh, it was kind of interesting. My uh, my dad's brother was in the Air Force, and he was in charge of what was called the SAC Command, which is where most of the stuff in the U.S. moved after the war, because you could store aircraft outside. You didn't have to hang them because of the weather in Arizona. That's what the attraction was to them, and you didn't have to worry about the noise from jet engines. And so my dad was a graduate journalist from the University of South Carolina. And he started the first newspaper in Arizona and it was called Jet Trails. And uh, we referred to it as the sound of freedom when I was a kid because that's all you could hear all the time was sonic booms and jet engines everywhere. And so, and that was uh, pretty much the early years. And then when I uh, got out of high school, I moved to South Carolina uh, permanently. My, my aunts, uncles, and a lot of my cousins, and we have very, uh, we have a lot of extended family here. So it was kind of our second home. We'd been here on vacations a lot and all that. And I just love the South 
I never remember a day that I left the desert. Uh, <laughs> and so I beach, I, I, I love to snow ski. I, I, I love to fish. And so South Carolina and the, and the South, it's a great place to live. So that's how I got here. So that was the earliest years. My dad actually, after about 20 years in journalism, the two biggest advertisers and probably still today for print ads were the car business and the furniture business. And so my dad's largest remedy source was a large furniture chain. And the guy that owned the chain passed away at a very young age in his 40s. And his mother, it turned out, was the financier. And she came to my dad and said, you know, nobody knew how to run the business. He didn't train anybody. And you were the closest person to him with all the advertising. So if you want to run it, I'll just back you to run it. So my dad left journalism and got in retail furniture. So most of my formative years growing up, my dad was in the furniture business, which included some manufacturing. So I was around furniture manufacturing, furniture sales. So in my career launch, the, the first 10 years of my professional career, I was in the furniture. Wow. Okay. So that's fascinating. And did you mention snow skiing? Yes. So in South Carolina? Uh, not, not in South Carolina. But it, yes, in North Carolina, not far. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Much more than in the desert, right? Uh, well, you'd be surprised, though. That there's some great skiing about three hours from Phoenix and Flankstown. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Did really, did really enjoy the desert. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... Uh, my brothers and sisters still live there, so we go there a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us more about the, the early years as far as the formation uh, in your spiritual journey. So, you know, my, my dad and his brothers were Irish Catholic, and they, they just, you know, were, um, you know, they weren't spiritual people. It was, you know, it, it wasn't like evangelical faith. It, you know, Christmas, most of the time, Easter, most of the time was, was the extent. And, uh, and really a lot of, you know, Jeff, when, when you said earlier about, about the early days, a lot of people don't realize, uh, even, even employees today, the first 10 years I would, was in business, there were no laptop or desktop computers. The first 15 years I was in business, there was no cell phones. And people like me could go like, well, how did you run a business with no computers and no cell phones? But, you know, on the, uh, on the spiritual journey, when we went to church, and now we're talking about 60s, right? 50s and 60s, 1950s and 1960s. Church was still done in Latin. So when you went to the Catholic church, the entire, even the servants were in Latin. Wow. Was in Latin. And so it was kind of scary and spooky. And, uh, and you know, so it, it, through, my, through my teen years, I'd moved completely away from faith, you know, just... Uh, they wandered off and got involved in a lot of things were going on in the sixties and seventies that weren't fruitful. And um and then and then one day I just embarked on a personal spiritual journey. It wasn't even I wasn't through a mentoring process or anything. I just I got married and I was working and, and I was always a good reliable employee, but it, it seemed like the things that I was the things that I was trying to go for were not fulfilling the and so I kind of got on a kind of a 70s spiritual journey, to be honest with you. And, and I don't know if you saw that recent movie out, The, the Jesus Revolution. I did. Yeah. I mean, I was, 
I mean, I cried and laughed. My wife was looking at me during that old movie, and I said, my life was literally like that. Uh, yeah. I was, in, I was one of those people that I was looking for God. And, and thank, thank goodness for the evangelicals and, and certainly, the, you know, uh, Frisbee and uh, Pastor Chuck, those guys that are portraying that movie, who really understood that, that uh, man, you know, that it's no wonder that Jesus spent time with the people that he spent time with. And thank goodness that in the 60s and 70s, those, those early evangelical guys really understood and yeah. the audience was, you know, the, the, the wonder is the seekers. Yeah. And that's who I was. And then I uh, just came to a saving knowledge, you know, one day that was very lynching. Wow. That's powerful. And, and that's it's not what this podcast is about is, but yeah, short plug for, if you haven't seen the movie, the Jesus revolution, or I think it's just called Jesus revolution. I would, I would encourage you to, to seek it out and we'll put the, we'll put a link in the show notes, but yeah, Chuck Smith. Yeah, the the whole that whole season, I, I recognized way too many songs in that movie. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, well, I'll tell you something that, that's really interesting is I think either last weekend or weekend before last, spontaneously, four thousand people showed up at Pirate Cove and got baptized. Wow, that's think, so awesome! Yeah, four thousand people. That, that look, you know, forty years later, praise God! Wow, that's incredible. Hey, so we're going to keep going on your life story. Tell us about your, a little bit more about your family and then the early, yeah, some more of the early years of your business, how you, at some point you got into the building business, but uh, tell us, first tell us a little bit about your family. So, you know, I had six brothers and sisters, mom and dad, and um, came, uh, moved to South Carolina, met somebody here. We got married and we were married for seven years and we had a two-year-old and, and during that process, of, you know, my discovering faith and uh, becoming an evangelical, really, my wife thought, I, I think she thought I was crazy. And so we ended up divorced, actually. And I ended up with custody of a one-year-old child and um, was working in retail. I was, a, I was a manager for a large chain at that point. My dad had sold his business, and I'd gone to work for uh, a great group of people, the Lowenstein family with Brooks Furniture and we were in the middle of a 66 store rollout. We opened up 66 new stores across the South and it was a lot of fun. It was a very exciting time, but I was also going through this turmoil of uh, being a single dad, which, you know, back in uh, 40, uh, 43 years ago, she turned 44 uh, this week. Uh, and uh, but back 43 years ago, being a single dad, you know, wasn't as cool as it is now. So it was a lot of work and uh, it's a, Ultimately, uh, uh, 40 years ago, which is four years later, I got, uh, re I got married a uh, second time to Janet and we've been, we just last December celebrated our 40th anniversary. We have a total of three children together and we just have a beautiful family. You can tell from this zoom that we're on doing this, this meeting, I, we have nine grandchildren now, then we have three great in-laws, our, our kids all married well, very Christian people, and my whole family is in the business. So uh, all of them have worked in my company. They've all let my oldest daughter's in business for herself or her husband. They've been in business 20 years and essentially do the same thing we do, very, very successful. Uh, my middle daughter and her husband are in the real estate business. She's now the state rep for uh, Zillow. And my son is a division president for one of the largest home builders in the Southeast. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. You, uh, yeah, that you can't ask for more than that. And it's like, no, no, we, 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 well, you know, racially, and it's so much fun because uh, when we get together, which is a lot, you know, we all talk about customers, and uh, you certainly wouldn't know we were evangelical when we're talking about home building customers. Okay. <laughs> and and all the challenges of our trade industry. Yeah. Yeah. Construction industry. But yeah. Well talk a little bit about yeah, we talk a little bit about the so speaking of home building, uh, how how did you uh venture into the home building business? And uh yeah, what were those early years like? Wow. So you know, this is where the whole story, you know, hinges. And and uh it's and and it is interesting. I don't know. I don't know if anybody could do it today, but you know, if it's South's path, they could. So I was in retail working 78 hours a week, traveling, doing this rollout with roads, three kids, a new marriage, trying to hold everything together. And then, and I'm sure for plenty of people listening, even to the podcast, they're all, there's many people that are sharing a, a similar experience, maybe even today with that kind of workload. And I just woke up one day and I really didn't feel like what I was supposed to be doing. And I really felt like I should go to seminary. So I talked to my wife and I said, you know, she kind of knew what was coming. And I said, I really think I got to go to seminary. So I went and looked into it and it, and uh, boy, you, I'm really going to age myself again here in a minute. So I went and uh, went to a school, enrolled and started school. And about a about a month after, month or two after I was enrolled, somebody uh, from the office had called me. I went had to speak to somebody kind of in guidance at the university, and they said, "You know, we were go- we were going back to the application and saw that you've been divorced." And I said, "Yeah." I said, "You guys have some questions on it." And they said, "Well, actually, if you've been divorced, you can't you can't graduate. You, you can attend, and you can compile the hours, but we cannot confer a degree on you." Um, if you've been divorced at this Bible college I was at, I said, really? So in 1983, not only did uh, we did find a church we could get married in, but it took us months that churches wouldn't marry divorced people and Bible colleges wouldn't graduate divorced people. It was, you know, there's so many divisive things going on today, but I think divisive things are just generational. There's always something divisive, right? It's hard to look back for anybody thinking the day when divorce is so popular, so many people and have been through it either themselves or that been been a child that's been through it or their spouse and child that's been through it. And so, it, I mean, it's touched everybody now. But back then, it just wasn't. You know, it, it was it was somewhat rare and and it was somewhat of a scarlet letter, obviously. So, you know, I really prayed about it. I just went back to work and I got off that path. And just within a month or so, the Lord kind of directed my life into the real estate. So I left retail. I got into regular residential real estate. The firm that I went and worked for had a building division. And so I was working in new construction, model home selling construction. And I loved it. I mean, it was such a shift from my dad's world and everything that I grew up in. And it seemed like I was just on a new path and it was a clean slate. And I really loved it. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this if the guy hadn't already passed away, but, but I looked back and I thought, man, the guy that I was working for, I thought if, if he could be a builder, anybody could, so I'm sure I could. (laughs) 
And, and so, like, I took some classes and I took the state exam and I went out and, and borrowed a few borrowed a few dollars. Matter of fact, I borrowed a hundred thousand dollars and I built two house, two spec houses. And of course, my real gift was sales. And I sold both the houses quickly. It sold a couple of contract jobs. And I think my first year I might have done four, five, six houses. Yeah. You know, a lot of it was hands on and I was working on the job every day and, and selling all the weekends and it was just organic. And, you know, and my wife were some, my wife and I were sitting at the dinner table during that first year and she said, you know, wait, this is really your mission. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't know that you're really supposed to be in the building business or that we're supposed to be in the building business, but, but, if, but if you're going to have a mission build, you're going to work in, uh, this is a great one. And you know, Jeff, I, I have the, I have the luxury of looking back 40 years, you know, the company will be 38 years old this August. The, the wow. And, uh, and you know, it's been an, an incredibly awesome journey of faith. And we'll talk about the ups and downs, the financial challenges. God definitely did roll out the red carpet or the golden highway for me. <laughs> well, let's talk about those. I, I, I know we've all been through them and we're going to get to, I'm, I want to come back to some of the things that you've done in, in Haiti and uh, Ukraine. You've been at, and we did, I share uh, a passion for serving the least of these and, you know, in some ways, the untouchables in both of those spaces. But talk about some of the the hard paths and uh, maybe some highs and lows for, for uh, our, if someone's, you know, walking, walking their dog or running on the treadmill, listening to this that, uh, that they can relate to. Well, you know, starting a business, uh, I, I don't care whether it's then or now or whatever, it, it's a big step of faith. Or it's a big step of courage. You know, we were talking at lunch. I, I lead a little training session every other Wednesday at lunchtime. Today was one of them. And I, you know, courage really is that has most of, mostly to do with being prepared. That sometimes we get, we prepare ourselves through education, the vocation, through mentorship, and sometimes God prepares us, you know. So I did not go to college, which is very interesting uh, path. I went straight into the workplace because. In retail, what I was doing, it wasn't even necessary at the time, you know, and I was making a lot of money in the retail business when I was younger. Like I, I was making like doctor and lawyer money back in the 70s and 80s in the retail, in the retail business that I joined it. But, you know, just taking a big step of faith and starting the company and just, you know, you know, doing it from scratch, not realizing that whether I was making a profit or not making a profit. A lot of my accounting was forensic accounting. If you're not sure what that means, that means uh, counting your chickens after they've hatched. And so, or sliding to know how, how many are missing. And so, and so the first, you know, the first seven or eight years were really tough. And I got to the point where really we just kept hitting dead ends. Our life was good. That we, we met a lot of people in the industry. People liked us. I think we were having a gospel impact, you know, with a lot of things that we were doing. Assuming with the people we were coming in contact with every day, we were doing a lot of volunteer work. And and I always say we, I like Irene, you know, whether whether I was gone uh, and she was all taking care of the kids, or we were doing it together, or we were with the kids I mean, all together. You know, my kids have traveled all over too. They've all been to Haiti and 
you know, Central America and all that with us it, as, as, you know, it's, as we've all grown up doing this business. But really in the early 90s, we just kind of hit a roadblock and said, you know, this isn't, we're not making, I can make more money working than I could taking all the risk of being a home builder. And, and we closed it down and in 1993, and that lasted about six months. And the Lord said, no, that's not the path. The path is to keep doing what you were doing. And I'll tell you how he did it. Jeff was interesting because he opened up a whole new door for us. I was working for my brother-in-law in the, in the uh, home security business, uh, or as we used to say, we were selling burglar alarms. And, uh, and so we were, we were in the home security business. And people at church would come up and say, hey, could you build a house for us? We've got some land. And, I, and so uh, one, of the, one of the guys at church, I said, well, you know, you guys go get the law and I'll be glad to build the house for you. We'll figure out, you know, a fee or something. So I did an estimate. I figured out, I said, you guys could pay me seven or eight percent or whatever it costs to build out, so I'll build it for you. And you know what, Jeff, within a few months, I had a couple of houses going for people that knew us and and we really just got into the build on your land business. We didn't know that's what it was called back then, but that's what it was. And and we had a good long run with that, like 10 years from you know, from nineteen ninety-three until probably or the early two thousands. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't grown that to where we were doing I don't know, might've got up to 70 or 80 houses a year. Wow. This doing contract, what I call out work fee building, you know, for customers and really enjoyed it. Got to know our clients great. People, you know, got what they wanted. We honed our skill and craft and, and honestly, it allowed us a lot of time to, to be more mission minded. You know, we, we were, I became a disaster relief coordinator, volunteer for the Methodist Spirit and the United Methodist volunteer mission and, got chance to travel to uh, Central America and South America where we did church planning in Vietnam. We did, um, we built a big conference center in Cuba. And so we, we got a chance to do some really interesting stuff while we were young. And, and I think we were given a lot more time than we were money back then, but God was growing the call at the same time. He was, he was really blessed us. And, um, and so we uh, ultimately, we opened up an architectural so we really decided that client acquisition, that really the size of the job that, you know, was really the revenue way forward. The revenue ticket for us was, was contract size. So let's say back then our average contract might've been 200, $250,000, but we knew that there was people building houses for eight hundred thousand or a million dollars and the architects weren't referring the work to us. So I knew it, I knew an architect. So. I just hired an architect in my office and we started advertising architectural services and we get client acquisition through the art, through the architectural service. Wow. And, and I wasn't an architect. I was just an entrepreneur and yeah. architects we could hire just like in healthcare today. I mean, healthcare hires doctors and they hire surgeons and all that stuff. And it was a little counterintuitive, but it was great because during the design process, we got to know our clients, we got their budgets. We yeah. got, they were getting along as a family, a couple, you know, we got to know a little bit about their temperature, what I called their temperature, their financial and their emotional temperatures. And, and we were able to pick off some just really awesome clients. And then we, so we got into large home, large home, home building, out large scale home building, but with big houses, 10, yeah. 15,000 square foot houses. And uh, I had a, at this time, a guy came to work for me named Mike Kelly, who just retired. 
he was with me 22 years. And Mike and I, as we grew the company and trained people, one of our one of our lines we used to tell guys is the difference between a small house and a big house is when we were building a big house, we had tractors on the inside of the house, which we literally did. You know, it took skin steers to deliver tile to the bathroom and indoor closet, indoor swimming pools in some of these places. And we got a chance to really hone our skills there. Yeah. In the late 90s, uh, my daughter was the first one to come into the business. My, my wife had been here working in accounting, which is very common in the home building business. One, that it's a family business, super common in the home building business. And it's super common for the wife to be in the accounting. So right. pretty common among, uh, among home builders. And we were pretty common among home builders from that aspect. Yeah. So we I'm going to come I want to come back to the home building business. Um uh, sounds like there's uh you're taking us up through at least the uh maybe 2003 2007 area. I know things changed around that time for a lot of us in the US. Uh but I want to hear a little bit more about that journey but before we do tell us about that trip to Haiti and tell us a little bit more about your uh walk us through how that impacted your life. And, you know, some of the things that you've done in Haiti through the years and what you're doing there today. Thanks for asking me about that, Jeff. And because this is some great stuff for me to talk through because it just refreshes my memory and what a blessing the whole thing was. So as I said earlier, I was a disaster relief coordinator for the Methodist Church. So the majority of my mission work, we weren't first tier responders. We were third tier responders. So after generally speaking, where there was casualties, this kind of thing, hurricane, mudslides, earthquake, uh, any kind of natural disaster. Once Red Cross, everybody got in and most of the cartage had been cleaned up. P- uh, think people had been stabilized in terms of maybe tent cities and that kind of stuff. Then the second, third string guys like us would come in and we would, my job was to coordinate rebuilding efforts, typically for housing, sometimes for churches, sometimes for church centers, which as you know, from being overseas, a church can be, you know, a hospital, a school, and a church. It's multi-use buildings, but a lot of it was housing. And so we were just appointed the field in various parts of Central America and the Caribbean to do that work. And so we, it'd been like two years we hadn't had a disaster, but we had monthly meetings statewide in South Carolina. One of monthly meetings, a, a wonderful guy named Dr. Hal Croswell, who was one of the, just a real, you know, back in the late 70s, it started an eye clinic. In Jeremy uh, from his practice here when he got out of med school. And he said, you know, nobody ever finished building the clinic. We have so much work needs to be di- done. And I know you haven't had a disaster in a long time. Would you mind going over and seeing if you could finish the construction of those buildings if I raised the money? And I said, I'd be glad to. So 33 trips later, I, wow, 33 trips, 33 trips to Haiti. I put it not only the eye clinic, but we built a medical clinic and we built a, a TV clinic all onto the same building. Uh, but I took 33 teams, volunteer teams down. And during that process, I had never, even though I'd been to all these exotic, you know, third world places, I just never seen the level of poverty that I saw in Haiti. Yeah. There's literally, you know, kids abandoned and people starving, and while nakedness, it would definitely was not part of their culture, like some people may think it is when they see that. Um, it wasn't. People literally didn't have clothes. Right? I mean, poverty to a level I've never seen before. Got it. 
you know what? We got to do something. And God really just pulled on my heartstrings. One of the guys that came and did music for us at night, that's part of our, our entertainment package. You know, there's not much to do when the sun goes down when you're in the mission field. You know, there's no internet or TV or anything like that. So yeah, these guys would come by and maybe play the guitar and sing from the church and that kind of stuff. And the guy had six kids living in a house that he picked up off the street. And he took me over there to see them. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for me. I said, I gave up all the disaster coordination relief work and decided to put 100% of my effort at that time into Haiti. So if I think about 30 more trips later, we had built an orphanage. We had gathered 40 children. We hired a director and uh, we were just kind of off and running. And, and I remember when I went to a monthly meeting back here in the States, in South Carolina, one of the guys came up to me and he said, uh, one of the pastors said, he, he told me he thought I made a big mistake. He said, you should never start anything that you can't finish. <laughs> and I don't know, it, it definitely wasn't a prophetic word. It was kind of a sad word from his, his side because we, we wouldn't start anything we can't finish. And, uh, and so here we are, you know, 20 plus years later, and those kids are all adults in university, or they got great. We've helped them uh, launch wonderful careers. We bring out old children. You know, it's just been God has had His hand on. It's been a, it's just been a wonderful, awesome journey. Yeah, wow. So that's awesome. So talk a little bit more. I mean, not only did you have an impact locally, but if that, and if I'm adding up the math right, you're talking about 50, 60 trips, and then you had to have an impact on your trip participants as well, that you were taking on these trips and, and allow them to be generous with their time and talents and, and their treasure. Oh my gosh, you know, uh, it, and this is really, it, what's really, really cool about sharing this time with you today, Jeff, is just to look back to think that what God's plan was for me leaving seminary. Yeah. That this was my mission field, you know, yeah. the way that I saw it, you know, going out doing shorter burn, you know, spiritual prayer with plumbers and electricians, but, but really input, not only doing that, which we did too, but also impacting the mission field and impacting all the participants along the way, the volunteers, I, you know, I would tell you without a doubt, more people were changed or converted on our side. Yeah. And there, yeah. I bet you there's eight, I, this is funny, but I, I bet you there's any youth leaders that are full-time in full-time ministry about wow. in our teams, you know, and I know multiple people that have been our teams ended up adopting some in any, some, you know, other places, but they, they really got an open their eyes that, that, that they could change things, you know, and, thought, and while changes, you know, you don't have to change everything. You have to change something. Yes, 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 yes. So. We so much to talk about here and minimum time left, but praise God for the work that you've done in Haiti, but praise God even more for the lives that were impacted. It's not just the physical bricks and mortar of, of structure that you were able to to build, but you were building lives there, impacting lives spiritually, physically, personally, socially, but also impacting lives of the trippers and, and uh, really having them be grateful for their ability to give back. So Talk a little bit about, I want to come back to the building business and then we're going to finish in Ukraine, if that's okay. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to shelf all over the world. So t take us from just a short uh, review uh, from say that 2006 area, kind of the building business peaked 
most parts of the country. And then, you know, it, what happened and how did you survive? You know, just walk us through some of those years, some of the trials and tribulations that James talks about build character, but it's not always fun. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, so far, so good. So, as I said, 2003, we were in the custom home building business, essentially an architectural business. My daughter came uh, out of college, came to work with us, and and we decided, I guess, collectively to get in the production home building business. So we spent the next five or six years just ramping up this operation that he in 2007. So like everybody else in our industry, and I knew a lot of people all over the country, you know, all in the Home Builders Association and being in roles there. And like I wasn't the only truck sailor on that train. No, we, one day the faucet just stopped. We did. We were business was great. We had 45 employees. We were doing about 300 houses a year. We had 150 specs, speculative homes sitting out of the field for sale. We had about uh, 1,200 building lots under construction, and somebody turned the faucet off. And um, and so that was the fourth quarter of '07. And and I don't think it took about a year before everybody figured out what happened. You know, because um, I, I, one of my favorite sayings then and now is, and I used to go around and give encouragement talks to real estate offices and the builder offices, but I said, you know, hope is not a business plan. Right. And so uh, hope is a wonderful salvation point, but it is not a business plan. And so if you're going to hope it's going to get better or more, hope the bank allows you some more time on the doubt. This is not a plan. So, so I took a lot of my own advice. Uh, we put together a very aggressive recovery plan. We, my wife and I, we lost everything. We we sold everything we owned. We sold our office building. We sold our home. We sold everything, one, to make sure that we could continue our, our mission in Eddie, that the obligation we have there to take care of as much of our employees and to, and to protect the ship as much as we can. And uh, we moved into a model home patio and we stayed there three years. Yeah. And uh, when we sold our, our big luxury house, we even sold furniture, everything with it. And we sold our cars. We sold our trucks. We went and bought used ones. And, and we started all over it. And yeah. it's nine. And it just, you know, Jeff, it, it was such a mountain to climb, you know, I, it would take another hour to even, you know, tip of the iceberg. But I will tell you, for us, we were very proactive. We went to our banks, we went to our vendors, we went to our trade partners. We did we did great workouts with everybody. Uh, we were able to pay everybody. It took seven years. We were able to pay everybody back. We were able to get back our and and the company, as you know today, you know this company is a is a big company. Our our annual revenue is over a hundred million dollars now. And uh, we have a full management team. I have an equity company as, as, my, uh, as my partner in the company. And uh, so we're highly capitalized now. And we're doing a lot of good work all over the place. Through that process, uh, we were actually able, uh, we thought we were going to know the tablet for a children project, which is now called our nonprofit, which is now called Next Generation Ministries. And so we were able to take a, a, a fair portion of 
of all the goodness that's happened to us and put into that ministry and really be able to ministry all over the place. Now it's had a lot to do with our name change. We didn't want to start over with young children in Haiti with babies because of our age. Janet and I are, I, I would tell you we're 70, but my wife said not say that. Yeah. So, um, and so I shouldn't say that. But at our age, you know, we just didn't think that uh, orphan care was a good uh, plan for us. But we have a wonderful program that is um, foster care sponsorship and school fees that we do yeah. on a fee basis and scholarship basis. So we're able to impact families that way that have small children so that they don't end up at orphanages. Well, and then we expanded to uh, several ministries in second, throughout the Southeast that are helping women and children. We help with a, a group that does free GED programs, and we help people get their GED through a mentoring program to retire uh, school officials and school teachers. And uh, there, we have there we help fund a ministry in Raleigh that has a big impact on inner city ministry. And then a year or so ago, a good friend of mine who spent 12 years in the Ukraine, uh, Robbie McAllister, he planted five evangelical churches in the Ukraine when the USSR fell apart. The, the planters, he was one of the ones that went over there doing church planting when the USSR fell apart. And he was lamenting about the war to me one morning at breakfast. And he said, you know, the war is just going to, it's just going to ruin everything that we work for. And I'm so worried about these churches. And I said, you know, I, I said, God, it, we met two or three times. I said, hey, really be careful, Jeff, when you tell somebody what God laid on your heart for them. Because this, this is getting me in a lot of trouble. So I said, you know, God really laid on my heart that maybe what you're supposed to do is go on kind of a Paul journey to the churches that you planted and encourage them. And I know it's not a good time or it's not a safe time. But I don't think it was a good time or a safe time for Paul to circle back in his churches either. Right. And, you know, uh, I don't know if it's a good words or a bad word, but but also got laid on my heart to give you the money to do that. So I, I gave him, I gave him a you know a, a check uh, that would cover cover the journey, and uh, and a couple days later he called me back and he said, "Well, God laid it on my heart to go with." You. <laughs> And quit serving, you know, the wrong gods. And he said, this. and so just to be clear, just so our, our listeners, if that may not be following what's happening in Ukraine right now, as of uh, February 24th, I believe it was in 2022, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. So when did you start your journey uh, there? Or when, when did this, what was this journey taking place? So we've been in. Now I'd have to go back and look, but it was, uh, we went in, in the, uh, in late summer of 22, we, September. Yeah. September of 22. So the war is raging and uh, yeah, it's raging. And I did go with him. And so we flew into Warsaw, Poland. We got picked up by a couple of guys there and we did, uh, it took us about 14 hours to keep, including crossing the border. Yeah. And we got the key, and we, we spent uh, some time there. We traveled around to the churches and spoke. We met with some people and put together some strategies. But from the time we met, which was right when the war started till we left in September, we had started doing uh, repair. We had, we had organized through Zoom groups to go out and do home repairs, which was putting that, the, the, these, these missiles would hit strategic targets. Yeah. Like, in like uh, 
let's say an encampment of soldiers, like for the residents that were within a mile radius, we blow their windows and lot yeah. out while they were shitting off. And so we put together a program where we could replace the windows and doors. And actually they had a good supply chain. So we we raised a pretty sub- substantial amount of funds, but just you can using local people and local labor. Wow. Do this remotely from here. And that was another reason they really wanted us to come meet a conference. They wanted me to see the work they were doing. We we were having these uh, that that they were not mobile homes. They were homes that were mobile. We were able to manufacture them offsite, get them there from areas around Kiev out to the world front. And we wanted to see that. So when we got there, Jeff, we went out to see all this work being done. We met just the most wonderful, awesome people. It was really scary. There was war collateral everywhere, blown up jeeps and tanks and buildings and houses. And, uh, it, you know, God protected us. We came wow. out. We've continued to uh, have Thursday meetings with them by Zoom. We, we're, we're now supporting uh, what we call warming centers because the winters are just, you know, and they're unmanageable. Most people, it's just really, really some zero, you know, winters there. So we were every winter we were able to uh, get we were able to get buildings, mostly churches, where people could come and shelter. They could get food, they could get water, they get warm, they could charge their devices. We we were able to get power plants for some people, which is kind of like a generator there, but it's battery pack. Yeah, that's a huge deal. Well, uh, Wade, that's that's amazing. Praise God for you allowing him to work through you and just uh, have the courage to take some risk and get out there on the front line. God's working in Ukraine and it's a, God doesn't waste a crisis and he's using folks like yourself through uh, the, the, the pastor you were taking the journey with. That's not an easy trip. I've been there uh, to, to cross the border from Warsaw, make it to cross the mountains to, to Kiev and then uh, just dodging the bullets. So but both your, you know, praise God for your work there, your work in Haiti. I, I did have a question and I, w- I would love for you to uh, leave us with a good word of, of advice here. Uh, we always like to ask for, you know, what, what is a, what's one thing that our listeners could really focus on as we think about generosity, but what I wanted to go back to some of those really tough years that you were talking about from say 2000. Nine, you know, 2008, 2009, as you were rebuilding, uh, from hearing your story, your focus on generosity and your focus on giving back, taking those trips to Haiti and then focusing on Ukraine most recently, what would you say, would your advice be, and you could tie this in with whatever your tip is if you want, or if you want to make it separate, but what would you say you leaned on spiritually or just, you know, in your soul to, to, to Continue to kindle that generosity spirit. You know, one of the things I'm so grateful for is that I've been a lucky guy to know what my purpose is. And so, and, and that really, you know, that really is, it all ties together. What my tip would be as well is that when you know your purpose, it, it doesn't make everything easier, but it certainly makes it more tangible. And, and you know, I, as I said today, and I'll share with you, and, and you guys said it's necessary, but you know, when David showed up to deliver uh, ham and cheese sandwiches to his brothers on the war front, you know, he could hear what Goliath was saying. And and he was going like, you know, there, he can't say that. You know, that's not justice, right? And so uh, he said, how come somebody has taken that guy out? 
And they said, oh, you don't understand, you know, but he's, he's a big, bad opponent. And we run into a lot of big, bad opponents in our life, don't we? In our businesses and our ministry. And, uh, and David said, you know, what's interesting is that when we think about a shepherd being a guy that's laying on a, you know, I guess he's laying on a blanket under the stars, enjoying life. It's the cheaper behaving. And it's not like that at all. You know, you've got strays, you're trying to get them back. But more importantly, as he says in this, in this version, I've been fighting bears and lions. This guy is not going to be a foe for me. And, and, I, and I relate to that story to say this. Courage is preparation. And, and courage is knowing what, what your oldest land is. You know, and, and so you, you don't have to be courageous. It's not overcoming fear. It's being prepared for what's next and realizing that, you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? No. And so we never wanted through all of our hardships in the business. We really believe that God would, uh, you know, continue to guide and lead us to what's next. Uh, even if it wasn't this business, because he, you know, led and guided us to everything else along the way. And for anybody that's out there, you know, wants some good advice, they need to read the Hebrews 11 because that's the real all of fame, right? Where all the people that re- that that believed and moved forward and did courageous things and died without receiving, right? And well, it, we lean into the idea that that our purpose is more important than the outcome. Hmm. That, that, and it, it becomes the filter and the lens that we live our life. You know, when I met you uh, at, and I met Alan Barnhart, you know, I was like, come on, Lord, I don't want to know these. You know, you guys, I thought I was out there challenging everybody else and then I met you guys. You guys became, you know, just such great challenge for me to get to my next level. And, and lo and behold, you know, that this last recap where we really made a lot more money did happen after I met you. And it made it easier for me to determine what that, how that wealth could be utilized in the kingdom because of the influence that you guys had. Hmm. And so it was just more preparation. It was a courage. Like, you know, I remember, you know, so many, anyway, I, I won't get into our or Jeff stories will be here for two more days, but there were so much encouragements there to set in, I didn't need to ask permission or figure out whether I was doing the right thing or the wrong thing. I was just leaning into what I put. Yeah. You want a blessing it is. Yeah. Well, what I hear you saying, if you're, if you're a listener out there listening to this podcast, uh, get around other generous people as well that will challenge you to be prepared for the blessings God's going to bring you. Uh, but praise God for the way that you've had an obedient heart through some tough times. Uh, through your lions and bears, uh, that you were that you were uh, courageously battling, and uh, been able to influence and impact so many lives. But uh, I love the good word of uh, be prepared and have uh, that purpose. That's a uh, that's huge. Well, we I think we could do another podcast here. I know just from knowing you, we got a whole. We got a whole nother list of stories we didn't even get into build for rent we didn't there's there's like a, a whole nother topic but uh we're we're gonna finish with that we're, we'll put some uh references in the show notes about the jesus revolution and wade if you if you want to add anything about the the, the ministry in ukraine or haiti 
or you know your work there, uh, your ministries there, here and abroad. Uh, we'll we'll add those as well as well. But thank you again for joining, and really really appreciate it. Praise God for for your ministry. You know, thank you, Jeff. And and you know, I, one thing that I want I do want to say that I hope makes podcast when your editors go through it. And when I left the luncheon today, where I was doing the training, uh, I've got a I've got a really I don't know if you know Discord, but the guy's a DI, very aggressive guy, and he wants to be a leader. And uh, and he's really, you know, he's at the age where he needs to just get to the next level too. And and he and he wrote me a, a note, you know, thanks for the training. What you know, what do I need to do next? And God laid this on my heart, and I love it. I said, learn to be a shepherd, and then you'll become a king. There you but, go. Learn to be a shepherd, and then you'll become a king. I love it, love it, love it. Yes. Yeah. Servant leadership. Wow. Thank you, Wade. And thank you everyone for joining us once again on the Generous Business Owners Podcast. Do you know of someone else that you think should be a guest on the podcast? Please reach out to us. The information to connect with us is in the show notes. Uh, Thank you again, Wade, for joining us today on the Generous Business Owners Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Have a blessed day, man. Right out. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.